Turn around to somebody and tell him, I'm coming from a dysfunctional family. If you don't say it, if you don't say it, then you get to be in the Bible. Because as far as I know, I had studied the word of God and I have not found a family who is functional in the scriptures. So I guess we are biblical people. Amen? Why are we all biblical people? Because biblical people were dysfunctional. Biblical people were what? Dysfunctional. And uh, I know that we are all proud of our families. Amen? Amen. Say, I'm proud. proud. We are all proud of our families. We are all proud of who we came from. We are proud of our parents. We are proud of whoever, whoever we call family in our lives. Nevertheless... We all have been afflicted. We all have been what? We all have been afflicted with dysfunctionalities. And the reality is that these dysfunctionalities, <laughs> um, they are gifts that we pass down through our generations to come. And, you know, now I have two children. And the more I realize how they're growing, the more I realize, unfortunately, they begin to look more like me. And when I see my son or my daughter reacting in ways that I don't like, I have to stop and say, Ruber, you did a fantastic job passing down the things that you don't like. Because... Um, it is a true reality that we unconsciously pass down to our children the things that we don't like about ourselves. It's a reality. I began to understand that years ago, 1996, I was pastor in the church and I baptized a young man who wanted to be a Christian. And most of you are here because you want to be a Christian. Amen. And he really meant to do the things that he learned from the scriptures. Nevertheless, few months later, he discovered that he had a challenge that he could not overcome. And for three times, I had to take him from the church back to his apartment. Sometimes I had to take him back to my place because he was completely drunk. And he could not stop drinking. When I went to visit his parents and find out, because he still lived with his parents, he was like in his, mix, in his 30s or so, I, I wanted to find out why is he falling back into alcoholism. Then I found out that his great-grandfather was an alcoholic. Then I found out that his father was an alcoholic. And now he himself was struggling with something he hated. He did not want it to be. But yet, it was part of him. So this morning, I would like to share with you that it is now scientifically proven. And uh, uh, brother, uh, do we have the um, do we have the presentation? Is it on? Oh, I guess I have to turn this on. There we go. All right. So um, we 
we have discovered that in this in the in in science now is something called epigenetics. Say with me, epigenetics. Uh, it's a it's a recent new uh, science, and what they're discovering now is that cells, your blood cells, or the cells that reproduce new life, carry memory. Say memory. What does that mean? Look what it says here. Dr. Arlene Taylor, which is one of the leading uh, researchers for many years in this area, she says, a form of epigenetics is a type of non-declarative memory stored where? In the cell nucleus. And she continues to say, that can influence your what? Choices, preferences, and what else? And behaviors. Now, notice what, what else she says. You may be impacted by what? That's what it's called now. It's called cellular memory. It says you can be impacted by cellular memory from where? From the past? How many generations? Three to four generations. And you may pass on cellular memory to what? So you are sandwiched in between the generations past and the generations ahead of you. So in other words, you are at least four to six times impacted throughout your genealogical, gene, genealogical history. So you are what three generations of you have been, and you will be three generations what you have been. Now, if that does not begin to concern us, nothing will. <laughs> because if I am what three generations behind me were, and I could be what three generations ahead of me will be, then I must take this life that I have very seriously. Now, notice what Dr. David Rackle from University of Wisconsin says. Watch this. Read it with me. Lifestyle and what? And your attitude has a what? Tremendous influence on your what? Well, some of you are saying that's not new. Of course it's not new. But for science, it's becoming new. Watch this. Not only of yours, but also of your what? Offspring. Watch this. If you choose to eat what? Fruits and vegetables versus what? High fat foods and fill your heart with what? Hope and compassion versus hate, hostility, and unforgiveness. That can possibly impact your what? All right. Is that, is that, is that something new? I'm not giving you something new. It's, it's something that all will know. However, it says it can leave a what? A mark on your code, meaning your cellulars and your memories that are stored in your cellulars can leave a mark on your code that can be passed on to what? Succeeding generations. So the life that you choose to live now, today, from the day you're born until the day you die, does not just concern you. 
You know, we, we always say, it's my life, is my problem, is my business. No, it's not. Because your life and your problem and your business is a problem and a business for at least three or four generations down after you. How about this? Watch this. <laughs> Does the Bible have something to say about it? Is this epigenetic a new thing? No, watch what, what back almost 5,000 years ago, Exodus 25. It says, I lay this, read it with me. I lay the what? The sins of the parents upon what? Their children. The entire family is what? Affected. Even children in the what? <laughs> and 6,000 years later, it's a new science. 6,000 years later, scientists are proving that what you do when you're alive is the result of what three generations before you did. And what three generations before, after you will do is a reflect of what you are today. So if that does not put a spin on how we live our lives, nothing will. Because the, the last thing I want is that my grandchildren look like me. Sorry, Jerry. The last thing I want my grandchildren is to behave, react the way I have. Because it's not good. It hasn't been healthy for me. It hasn't been healthy for my marriage. It hasn't been healthy for my kids. So the last thing I want is my grandkids and my great-grandkids and my great-great-grandkids to look like rumor. However, I have a choice. I have a choice to make. So it's not too late. Say it's not too late. How do I know it's not too late? Watch this. The, the same verse that says that your lifestyle impact three generations ahead of you. That next verse says, read it with me. I show what? Can I hear an amen to that? It says, I show mercy to how? How many? Thousands of those who what? Who love me. So I want you to look at the person next to you and tell him there is hope. Come on. There is hope. Grandparents, there is hope. Grandchildren, there is hope. Moms, there is hope. Dads, there is hope. There is hope. Because some of you, uh, uh, some of you and some of us continue to say, why does he look so much like me? And sometimes it's not a good thing. And so this gives me a little patience when I see my daughter, Geriani, doing some things that I don't like. Instead of going after her or my son, instead of going after him and saying very harshly, Stop it! Behave! I realize it's my fault. I had given him and her my cellular memories. And so I, I have to look at their behaviors with a new spin. 
And I have to realize that he is or she is who I am. And I have to be merciful because he or she has nothing to do with it. It is my own gift to this stubborn child. It all began with me. And it all began with my stubborn dad. And then it began with my great, great stubborn dad. Granddad. Are you, are you following what I'm trying to say? Okay. So we got to develop this, this sense of compassion upon our children that we don't have sometimes because we think that they need to behave like 50 or 60 years old. When you're still 50 and 60 and you're still behaving the way you were when you were 30 or 20 or 25. And we're still struggling with that. But the good news is that God says, I show mercy to how many? To thousands of those who love me. So how do we break this generational curse? Anybody here would like to know how do we break that? I, re- I really liked Okay? And, and the more I, 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 I teach this, the more hopeful I get because I want my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren not to look like me, but to look like Jesus. All right? And here's, here's how it happens. So let's start with a story, simple story. Say with me, Jericho. Uh, we just uh, came back from Israel for my wife, so I took a picture here. Um, in actually, this is a brand new, the brand, the newest excavation that proves that the story of Jericho is true. Amen. They find uh, walls that are burned. They find walls that are uh, fall inward, not outward. They find all these type of things that they're finding to prove, even though it's been such a such a, a debatable story for many years. But you know the story, right? The story is the Israelites are commanded to go around Jericho for how many times? Seven times. They go around six times. And the last time goes seven times. And they make the shout. And what happens to the, to the walls? They collapse. But they had a command, specific command from God. And the command was, uh, let's go together, let's read that command. It's found in Joshua chapter 6, if you want to open your Bibles. They had a very specific command about um, the whole process here. So Joshua chapter 6, verse 18 and 19. And here is the command. I'm going to read to you. Um, Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction. So... You're going to get the city, you're going you're gonna to destroy it, but once you're in there, you do not take what? Because things are set to destruction. Uh, don't take it or yourself will be completely destroyed. And you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Now notice what verse 19 says, everything <clears throat> made from what? Are you reading with me, for those of you reading? Everything made from silver, what else? Gold, what else? Bronze, what else? Or iron, it's sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Okay, so pay attention to this. This is critical. Say with me, critical. This is critical because the Israelites are commanded... 
and they're said, when you get in there, do not take what? Anything. Don't touch anything. Yeah? But all of a sudden, God says, there is only one thing you must preserve. What are those things? The gold, the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the iron. And is that for them, or who is that for? He said, you bring it to the temple. So I want you to watch this very carefully. Because not everything in Jericho was to be destroyed. Everything was to be destroyed, except the precious metals. Why? Why were the precious metals to be preserved? Any ideas? Here it is. Then the Israelites burned the town and everything in it. Only the things made from what? Silver, gold, bronze, and iron were kept for the treasury of what? Of the Lord. All right. Pay attention to this because this is critical. For those of you who just got here, we're trying to discover how do we break generational curses. God says there will be a curse if you take something from Jericho. There will be a what? And he says the entire camp will be cursed if you take something from Jericho. Except you keep the silver, the gold, the bronze, and the iron. Not for you, but it is to be taken to where? To the Lord's house. Again, why does the Lord ask them to keep the precious stones? Haggai 2.8, read it with me. The silver is mine. And what? And the gold is mine, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Amen? So there are things that belong to God in spite that they're in the wrong place. <laughs> there are things... That belongs to God in spite there are in the wrong hands. And I will say the same thing about you and me. There are people that belongs to God even though they are in the hands of the enemy. Isn't that great news? So even though everything is going to be destroyed, there is something that God wants to salvage. Say with me, salvage. So anyone who today... It's living a immoral, ungodly life cannot be seen with eyes of despise. We have to look at that person and say, even though you're in the wrong hands, even though you're doing the wrong thing, God is claiming you as his. Amen? Isn't that exciting? Yeah. Well, let's continue here because this is more exciting. There was a problem. What was the problem? You know the story of Jericho. Let me have, I ask the kids to come because you know the story. You know the song, how the song goes? Joshua for the battle of Jericho. Jer you, know, you know the song, right? What was the problem? Tell me, what was the problem? There was a problem with the story of, of Jericho. What happened? Huh? The wall? What happened to the wall? Well, the walls came down. They went inside. They took... They kill everybody. They, but there was a problem. What was the problem? All right. Someone took something that they were not supposed to take. Okay, let me ask the kids. 
You adults know a lot. So let me ask the kids. What was the name of the man who took something he was not supposed to take? Anybody? Kids? Teenagers? What was the name of that person? You're not a teenager, Patrick. <laughs> Where are my teenagers here? What is the name of that man? Starts with letter A. Aiken. Very good. Aiken. So there was a problem. The problem was there was something, there was a syndrome that was going around the camp, and I call it the Aiken syndrome. Say with me, Aiken syndrome. Say with me again, Aiken syndrome. What was the Aiken syndrome? All right, here is the Aiken syndrome. Let's read together. Let's read together. Aiken replied, It is true, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. Among the plunder, I put it in big letters there because the syndrome begins there. I what? I saw. What did Achan see? I saw a what? Beautiful robe from Babylon. 200 silver coins. And a bar of gold. What was he supposed to do with the, robe, with the Babylonian robe? Burn it. What was he supposed to do with the silver and the gold? Take it where? Are you getting the picture? So there are things that need to be eliminated. There are things that need to be kept. Let me say that again. There are things that need to be what? Eliminated. There are things that need to be what? Kept. There are things that need to be eliminated. There are things that need to be honored. We're getting there. We're making progress. We're trying to discover how do we break generational curses. And the more you get into the story, the more you, it begins to make sense. Because a curse fell upon Israel. Do I, do I have some more mic? Can you give me a little more mic? I, there was a curse that was on Israel. And the curse affected the entire camp. But there's more to the story. Watch this. Look what it says. This is Achan answering. He's been discovered. Are you with me? He's been discovered. And then he says, what was his problem? Earlier, the first problem is, he says here, I saw. It, it began with what? With the eyes. I think that's a problem all the way coming from, from Eden. What did Eve do? She saw the fruit. Yeah? Oh, be careful, little eyes. You know the song, right? So it begins somewhere. That curse that is be from generation to generations have begun with what? With her eyes. I, he, she, he, she saw. He saw. And it says, I saw our eyes. And watch this. This is the second part of the curse here. I, read it with me. This is from Joshua 7.21. Read it with me. It says, I wanted them so much that I what?
Why have I cursed three generations after me? Is because somewhere I saw something. And somewhere I wanted them so much. Why am I cursed? Because my father and my great-grandfather and my great-great-grandfather saw something. And they wanted so much. And they took them. But the problem is not to take something. The problem is when you take something that is not supposed to be in your hands. Let's keep reading. So what Aiken syndrome is, I want them so what? So parents who are, you're here, kids who are not married, single adults who are not married, what do you want so much? What is it that you want so much? If you can answer that question right now, I can tell you what kind of curse or what kind of blessing you're passing down to your generations ahead of you. What, what do you, what would you mortgage your house for? What would you mortgage your farm for? What do you live for? What is the thought that is in your head the moment you open your eyes in the morning? What is the thought that goes through your heart and your minds throughout the day? What is the thought that takes you to bed? That is what you want. And you have to begin to realize, okay, does that what I want in which camp is it? Let me, let me explain this to you. Say with me, God's camp. God's camp. Say with me, world's camp. Let's do it one more time. God's camp. God's camp. World's camp. camp. So here is the deal. In God's camp, God says, I want the silver, the gold, the bronze, and what else? The iron. Remember the story? He says, in my camp, only comes the silver, the gold, the bronze, and the iron. Nothing else comes to my camp. Everything else symbolically belonged to world's camp. It needed to be what? Eliminated. It needed to be destroyed. So, when you think about generational curses before you, with you, and after you, is because we have been dancing between these two camps. And we have not defined ourselves clearly. Define ourselves what? We don't define ourselves clearly, so we have this, this smuggling, <laughs> shall we say, right? We smuggle things from world's camp to God's camp. And we smuggle things from God's camp to what? To world's camp. And, and there is not a clear definition, what are you? Because you keep smuggling things from one camp to the other. And the curse begins to be passed down from my generation to your generation, 
to third generations and fourth generations because there's no clarity regarding where I stand. Do I clearly stand in God's camp or do I stand in world's camp? <clears throat> in God's camp, there are teams to be what? In world's camp, there are teams to be what? To be eliminated. Now, watch this. Uh, this is a very sad story. Um, let's read that together. Someone who can read that for me. 7, 24, and 25. Joshua 7. Someone with a loud voice. And, 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 and I want the, the, the teenagers especially to realize this. Because what you are right now, so will your three generations after you be. And, and you're thinking, well, what I do doesn't matter because it's my life, it's my business. Nobody needs to meddle with my life. Now, notice what happens when we allow that curse to rule our lives. Somebody with a loud voice can read Joshua 7, 24, 25. Yes. Question, how many people suffer the consequences of that curse? Not, not only his family. Did you read? Cattle, animals. Not only that, but do you notice that there was something else that was burned, that was not supposed to be burned? The gold and the silver that it would, who did that belong to? Why did God didn't rescue his gold and his silver from the hands of Achan? Because once you meddle with God's things, once you smuggle God's things into the world's camp, it loses its purpose. Once you start smuggling the things of God into, into the world's camp, God says, I don't want that. I don't want it. You can keep it, and you can die with it. So if this does not rock your world, and you begin to realize how my living today is not only impacted me, but also will impact three generations ahead of me, nothing will. Are you with me? Well, some of you are like, well, pastor, I know that. I can see it. Um, I'm the result of the curse of my grandparents and my great-grandparents, and my life has been a mess. And now I look around, I look at my children, and they're just exactly like I am, making the same decisions as mine. They're, 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 they're doing this, and they're doing that. And, and, and how do I stop it? How do we break? How do we, how do we break that generational curse? Say it with me, Rahab. Does anybody know who Rahab was? <clears throat> Where was living Rahab in the story? 
outside? Was she in the was she in God's camp or was she in the world's camp? Yeah, you know, li- uh, symbolically, she was in the world's camp. Now, where was Achan living? Was he living in God's camp or in the world's camp? Now, you begin to see the paradox. You begin to see that you're not safe just because you are living in God's camp. That does not guarantee your redemption. You may have been born in a Christian home. Teenagers, you may have the most faithful parents who come to church every Sabbath, who pay tithe every Sabbath. You may have parents who doesn't let you watch but vegetables. You may have parents who doesn't let you eat anything but cauliflower. That does not guarantee that you will not be cursed. But the other part is, you must be one of those who are eating other than cauliflower. And you are watching other than vegetables. And you are those who are not paying tithes and you're not keeping the Sabbath holy. Yet there is hope. Because Rahab, Rahab was among those who were not paying tithe, not eating cauliflower, not watching veggie tales. Here's what the Bible says about Rahab. Rahab says that she was a prostitute. Say with me, prostitute. Oh, that word. Uh, prostitute. Uh, Who wants a prostitute? That's the last thing I want. A prostitute. And it's a prostitute comes here to a church and she announces herself, I'm a prostitute. All the wives get so scared. And they say, you dare not to look at that woman. You know? And she will sit there on the back of the church because she's from the world's camp. And she's cursed. They will be cursed. But if Achan comes here and sits there and says, I'm Achan. I'm from, world's, from God's camp. Everybody is, do you want to come to potluck with me? I shall invite you. Come. You and your entire family. Why don't we arise? Why don't we, what, what, what we need to realize is that you could be in either camp. And you could switch camps if you want to. You may decide to stay in God's camp. Or you may move from world's camp to God's camp. Now, I, I love what her, how Rahab moves to that camp. Look what she says. For the Lord your God, she's talking to the spies, and she says, For the Lord your God is the what? The supreme God of heavens above all earth. Above all the earth. So the prostitute somehow acknowledged the supremacy. Say with me, supremacy of God. There is something about accepting the supremacy of God. Something inside of you changes when you recognize 
that there is no other than God the creator. Your way of thinking, your way of worshiping, your way of living begins to be radically changed when you accept the supremacy of God. I have a feeling that the problem of Achan and why his eyes were attracted to the worldly camp is because somehow there was a break between his belief and the supremacy of God. Are you with me? Somehow there was a rapture in his relationship with God and, and, and the, ro- the Babylonian robe and the gold and the silver moved into a higher level than God. <laughs> but the, the prostitute, say we be prostitute. See, you don't want to even say it again. <laughs> it's, such a, it's, such a, it's such a disgusting word. We don't want to say that word in church, pastor. I don't want to say prostitute in God's house. But do you realize something that is life-changing. Let me, let me share with you here. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed. Only the prostitute. And I wish I could only say just the prostitute. But what does the Bible say? Do you realize the impact that you have in generations to come? Achan and his decision cursed his entire generation. But the prostitute and her choice blessed her entire what? Generation. How many of you will say amen to that? To me, there is hope for us to break that generational curse. And, and when, 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 when Paul told the, 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 the jailer, the jail keeper, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only you will be saved, but also what? And some of you are like, but God, pa- pastor, I've been believing my, my children, my husband is not. I says. You know what? It's not done until it's done. It's not over until God says it's over. And do you know when it's going to be over? When he comes. Because even if you die and you don't see that promise fulfilled, that does not mean it's not fulfilled. But I'm going to grab into that promise that if I, the prostitute, does anybody here wants to sigh with me? Because, you know, honestly, at this moment, I'd rather be a prostitute than Aiken. I really, I really want to be a prostitute. Well, pastor, I'm sorry. Not only I am a prostitute, not only I want to be, I am. I am a, because I prostituted myself with other gods in my life. So I am a prostitute. But I'm a prostitute who has recognized the supremacy of God. How many prostitutes with me this morning? Praise the Lord. Wow. Look at that. Pastor, your, your church is full of prostitutes. 
You're doing a good job. Everybody's welcome. Everybody's coming to your church now. Because I'd rather be a prostitute who, who recognizes the supremacy of God than an Achan who makes Babylonian robes and gold and silver my God. Because I want my family, I want my grandchildren to be blessed and not to be cursed. And watch this. Watch this, folks. Look what happens. When Rahab accepted the supremacy of God, look what her generation changed forever. Look at this. From Matthew 1, 5, and 6, Solomon was the father of boss, whose mother was what? Yeah. Hallelujah. Boss mom was Rehab, a prostitute. And I bet you her boss was so proud of her mama. <laughs> and not only that, watch this. Boss was the father of Obed, whose mother was what? Changed an entire generation. But watch this, it doesn't get any get even better. And Obed was the father of what? And Jesse was the father of what? So do you know that King David walked on his path and say, my great grandma was a prostitute. And I'm so proud of it. Because this prostitute, she recognized the supremacy of God. And it changed an entire generation. But not only it didn't stop there. Pastor, he didn't stop there. Watch this. <laughs> Read it with me. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hallelujah. Jesus Christ. Of the seed of what? Jesus Christ. Of the seed of a prostitute. Was raised from the dead. Victorious. To make sure that all of you prostitutes could change the entire genealogy ahead of you. Are you excited to be a prostitute who has recognized the supremacy of God? But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by what? When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself. There is some, Pastor, can you help me to distribute these postcards? Can I have four, four volunteers? Um, help me to pass this around real quick. Um, hey, there we go. Oh, wow, look at this. Pass it around. Everyone gets one. If you need a pen, there's a pen. While this is passed around, uh, remember the story of the young man I, I began telling you about? <clears throat> you all need a, a postcard and a, and a pen. I saw some of you at Oshkosh. How many of you went to Oshkosh? Let me see your hands. Oshkosh. Where are my Oshkosh people? Yeah. Ooh, yeah. 
I saw you, some of you from a distance. I was at Oshkosh. And I was in line to, um, I was in line to buy food. I was in line to buy food. And it takes a while to get food there when you're in Oshkosh. Because like 20,000 people trying to get the same burger. <laughs> Just insane. So we're hungry. And we're in line. And as I'm in line there at Oshkosh, I feel a hand that touches my shoulder. And when I turn around, I look at this face that I have met in 1996. I saw this face that I knew very clearly because he has been cursed by three generations of alcoholics. And he came to our church after he was baptized in 1996, three times drunk because he was cursed. And, and I look at him and see, is he drunk again? I mean, this is, how many years is 96 to 2019? Is that 23 years? And I said, 23 years later, he's still drunk? And I look at him, because the first thing that comes to mind, is he drunk? And he hugged me. And I was in line to the most visited food stand in the entire camp. The lines were big. Beautiful, beautiful uh, food truck. And everybody kept talking about this food. And then he says, Pastor, when you get to that window, tell them that I sent you. And I said, why? He says, that's my food truck. And I realized that somehow, somewhere, this young man recognized the supremacy of God. And this is how he did it. Let me tell you the rest of the story. In 1997, before I left that district in Minnesota, one Sabbath morning he came and he had something like this. And I'm going to ask you to do this. I want you to, to do, um, I want you to do this. Well, let's start, let's start like this. Just do this in your, in your postcard. Make a, make a cross like this. doesn't have to be dotted. Just make, just make a big cross like this. One down and one to the left.
Everybody have their cross ready, made? All right, on the left side, just write things I must honor. Things I must honor. Write it down. Young people, everybody, write it down. Things I must honor. On the right side, you're going to write things I must eliminate. Things I must eliminate. Now, you remember from a story, there's a world camp and there's what? God's camp. God's camp and what? What are the things from Jericho that needed to be honored? Say it with me. Gold, silver, bronze, and iron. What were the things of Jericho that needed to be eliminated? Everything else. So God has made it plain and clear. There are things that are for you to honor, and there are things for us to eliminate. Why? Because if we don't eliminate the things that are not of God's camp, you will not only carry the consequence, but also you will pass it down to two, three, and four generations. Are you with me? So this is a very serious decision you're making this morning. All right? So in 1997, when I visited this young man and I found out what his problem was, his problem was, Pastor, that he, he got baptized, he wanted to be a Christian, but in his closet, he had thousands of dollars worth of things that belonged to Jericho. And were not gold, silver, or, or bronze. So he had a, a, the, one of the largest collections I've ever seen of, of um, um, all kinds of... Um, disco music and all these things that were not um, Christian. And I said, and I said, hey, Brother Luis, um, I had learned that, that when we have things in our camp, when we smuggle things from the world that are in our camp, uh, the blessing that God wants to leave, it's not happening. It's not taking place. And I said, I, I strongly believe that if you somehow get rid of these things that are that are not from God's camp, you will definitely receive the power to overcome, the power to break. And so he believed that. Next Sabbath, he showed up with a, two duffel bags full of 3,000 words at that time, 1996, about $3,000 worth of, of music from the world. And he says, Pastor, I really want to overcome my alcoholism. Can we do something with this? And I said, sure. So we went to the, we went to the um, dumpster of the church that morning. We changed the entire service, and we did dumpster service. We gathered around the dumpster. We started singing, and he himself burned every single one of those CDs that were from World's Camp. And uh, 23 years later, God has multiplied. He got married he has beautiful children in college now. He has a business that is booming and flourishing. He told me, Pastor, you know, this is more than I can ever have. We have like two or three trucks back in Minnesota. And now we're here in Oshkosh. And then he pointed at two young, a young lady and a young man and says, those are my children. And they're working as a family with me. And I said, what a wonderful decision you made 23 years ago to eliminate the things that were of the world's. And you decided to honor the things that were God's. So now, sometimes we, we are so mixed. We, we, we're so in this smuggling so much into our lives that we don't realize 
how much damage we're making into our lives and our spiritual lives and those who are in our generation to come. We think that this is, this is oh, it's just, who cares? You know, that. But the story of Jericho teaches us clearly that there are things we must honor and there are things that we must what? And I'm not going to tell you what is that you need to do, but God will right now. So here's what we're going to do. On the right side, on the left side, write what are some of the things that you must honor. This is not a, a comprehensive list. It's whatever the Holy Spirit tells you that you've not been honoring lately. What is it that you need to honor? Don't write that whatever is on the screen. This is just an example. But what are you honoring? Do you need to start honoring your body? You know what, you, what you're doing with your body. Do you need to honor your marriage? Do you know what, what you've been doing in the secrecy of your spouse? He doesn't know. She doesn't know. Are you honoring God's time? It's not your time. It's God's time. Are you honoring tithes and offerings? It's, it's something that God, it's God's. It belongs to him. Are you honoring the Sabbath? So make a list. What are some of the things that you have not been honoring or you used to honor but you don't honor anymore? And you say, this is what I need to really pay attention to. Don't write the things you're already honoring. That's not the problem. The problem is the things that you are not honoring. Just write it there. It says, I need to start honoring this. I need to start honoring this. I need to start honoring this because if I want to bless my children and great-grandchildren and my great-great-grandchildren, I better need to start now. Otherwise, I'm passing down this curse for years to come. So I'm going to give you a few moments for you to do that. Write that in that piece of paper. And the Holy Spirit begins to reveal. He's telling you what it is. What it is. And finally, on the left side, it's good to write it down. Uh, what are the things that you, that you realize? I need to eliminate this. And, and a good way to put it is, what competes with God in your life. You know what competes with God. In the case of Achan, what competed with God? Tell me. In the case of Achan, what competed with God? The Babylonian robe, the gold, and that took precedence upon God and he brought a curse upon him and his entire family. So what competes with God in your life? Write it down. May the Holy Spirit just lead that. And I would like to say, when Jesus set us free, we are free indeed. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we're so grateful. We're so thankful. That is not over yet. We're so grateful for Jesus. Who willingly took upon himself the curse of our own doings. Forgive us, Lord. You're witnessing what has been written in this index card we cannot lie to ourselves any longer I don't want my children to be cursed I don't want my grandchildren my great 
children or great-grandchildren to be cursed. That's the last thing I want. So I have a choice to make today. Whatever I'm not honoring that is yours, I must, by the grace and the power of Jesus, decide to honor. And whatever is competing with you, Lord, give me the power and the strength to eliminate from my life today. In Jesus' name, amen.